Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the NoCast. Bud have all sorts of things to talk about uh, as we have recently. ton of recruiting, uh, decent idea as to kind of what Florida State's board looks like coming in and out of spring. Uh, a couple different commitments to talk about, decommitments. Uh, when I talked over the weekend, you had the uh, fantastic sound of, uh, of, you know, whistles being blown in the background. So I know you've been bopping around on the camp uh, circuit as well. So tons of things for us to get into. A little early morning cast as we are wont to do. Thank our friends at Madison. <laughs> Thank our friends at Madison Social. Absolutely. Thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce as we're wont to do. And uh, the good people at Tarpon Cellars as well. We'll just be ad reading uh, right out from the get. But Tarpon Cellars, fantastic pairing uh, with the Nolcast. Great wine. Uh, Cabernet's more kind of a special occasion, but they have some fantastic rosés. Uh, some great options. Go to tarponcellars.com. That's T-A-R-P-O-N-C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com uh, to learn more about the people that we're fortunate uh, to be able to work with. So with that, bud, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's do this thing, man. Excited to be back this morning. Yeah, I was at uh, the Underclassman Report uh, Orlando camp there on Sunday, and uh, then I actually went down into something I organized uh, 24-7 Sports Day at IMG Academy uh, down in Bradenton on Monday morning. That was a lot of fun, and I uh, got to see their opening day of spring practice. So very, uh, very appreciative to, to IMG for allowing us to go down there and and do that. I think we spoke with... Uh, we spoke with like 18 guys who are are or will probably eventually be in the top 100 in their respective classes. So not lacking for talent at uh, at IMG. I was I was just kind of chuckling to myself thinking how like how is IMG's offense ever going to score a touchdown in practice because there's just so much defensive speed, you know, on, on the field that there's uh, there's not a lot of open windows to throw to. But that was that was a good a really, you know, really good time and uh, we'll we'll see more content rolling out there. On 24-7 Sports, so make sure you subscribe to 24-7 if you have not already done so. It's, it's an awesome value and, and very cheap. All right. Uh, so I guess the first order of business is something that we uh, believe we just... Did we discuss this last show? Uh, the, the Apex rollout? Uh, I don't know that we went into it. We, I, think that was, uh, I think that was released right after we published, actually. So I don't think this is something that we've done a, a whole lot of talk on. I, I think... Let, let's, let's start with some of the positives here first, right? I think Florida State did a tremendous job with the marketing of this, specifically the videos that, that were put out, right? Like the, the videos the coaches put out and importantly, the, the, the large video that FSU's main account put out. The Apex program is going to be their, their name, image, and likeness program. They are partnering with the, uh, with the, the Jim Ran uh, entrepreneurship you know, program with the business school. That's really, really smart. I, I just think they, from the optics standpoint, they, they nailed this 100%. Like it looks impressive. I think it's, it's basically as impressive as far as what they put out as any program that I've seen so far from colleges. And that's, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. Um, so this is, this is a very good thing. It is going to help them in recruiting at, at least in, in the short term. I have some concerns about how the actual implementation of the program is going to operate, but the law doesn't go into effect for a couple more months and there are going to be bumps in the road for everybody. I know there are some people in the program who have some concerns about, you know, some of the folks running the program and they're like, yeah, it's maybe not our best people. And some of the people who are working on it, you know, left for other jobs. 
However, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt for the most part. Like the only thing that was released publicly about this that I didn't like was the logo. It looked kind of, you know, just, just, I don't know. To me, the logo didn't match up to the video, but I thought the video and the marketing that they, that they did, the public facing stuff, they, they really nailed it here. What, what, what did you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think they did a really good job with it for a program that has, uh, that has been far more reactionary, uh, than, than actually getting in and kind of, uh, you know, creating space of your own. I think they've done a really good job with it. I, I think, uh, I don't think we're homers here to say that Florida state has embraced this idea, wrapped their arms around it and, uh, are doing as good of a job as anybody in college football when it comes to kind of trying to be flexible and work this rather significant implementation into uh, their athletic program. So, uh, you know, the, some of the graphics that have followed up with it as far as, you know, sending kids uh, edits where they're, you know, chairman of the board and stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's uh, it definitely plays, man. Yeah, it does. And uh, it's great to see Florida State be a little bit of a, like I said, a little bit more of a, a trailblazer uh, than just trying to figure out how they can, you know, mimic what others are doing or, or not have something be a detriment uh, and having this be an asset. So I, I tip my hat to them. I think they're off to a great start and uh, will be very interesting to see how they, uh, you know, wrap it up. And, and NIL is certainly going to be, and, and this podcast is unabashedly football focused, but, you know, Florida State has a habit of having fantastic programs, uh, you know, up, up and down the, uh, both the male and female side, uh, of the register. And they've had, you know, soccer players, the Danny Castellanos or the, the female that's over there playing for athletic Madrid is a, a great player. They had a European player of the year that was of, of Irish descent. I mean, there's, they're going, this is not just going to be a football thing. They have incredibly marketable assets, uh, in some of these other non-revenue sports as well. And, um, I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, I, I really am. Um, I also think giving the kids course credit is is pretty genius, right? It, it's it's more credit you can give. It shows that the whole school is invested in in athlete well being and, and athlete marketability. Now, we we got a bunch of questions about this and from our Patreon, also on you know patreon.com slash nullcast, also our, our Twitter, uh, and probably even a couple on Instagram. I didn't check the Instagram for questions, but I, I guess that's one more place that we have to uh, we have to check since we did drop the. You know the, the the leaked renderings of the football facility, um, but I, I will say, I think a lot of people are asking, can we just like can boosters just decide to sponsor a kid because he's good at football? And ultimately, the answer is somewhat yes and somewhat no. I, I was laughing with the coach about this the other day, and athletes are not allowed to use Florida State photos of them in Florida State gear. They can't mention they play for Florida State and they can't use like video of them playing for Florida State in advertisements unless the school also agrees with the advertisement. And so that you might say, okay, well, the school's probably going to agree to whatever because they want to keep the kid happy. I, I I don't necessarily think so when you pair it with the second parameter here. And that's that while the school doesn't really want to be the one saying, hey, like you can't, like you can't get this amount of money for your advertising. There is going to be some oversight here that the schools all want, which basically is going to say you can't get, you cannot get paid in a sum that is drastically out of step with your reach, right? So for instance, let's say 
I don't know, let's say one of the kids wanted to start a, a YouTube show, right? Well, I mean, YouTube might pull in 25 CPM, right? Which is, you know, dollars per thousand in, in, in impressions. If, if some kid has, has uh, on the team has a YouTube show, you know, breaking down, which I, a couple people in the comments asked about. If some kid has a YouTube show breaking down Florida State's team and, and he's, I don't want to call him a scrub, but like a player who's, who's like a third stringer or something on the team, you know, and he does 10,000 views. If you offer him 5,000 bucks per show, that's like a couple thousand percent off of what that show is actually worth on the open market. And they would deem that to be like basically you profiting on like you, you basically getting paid to play as opposed to being paid for your name, image, likeness, or, you know, the product that you produce outside of football. So that would probably not be sanctioned. And then you would risk losing your eligibility. That That's basically the way that the NCAA is going to try to control this uh, to some extent so that you don't just have the wild, wild west of everybody being on, on payroll, you know, via loopholes. Right. Does, does that make sense? Like, like you, I, I'm trying to make sure I'm explaining this right. It'll be interesting. Um, that is a, a good example. Um, also one that has a little bit more of a, a measurable comparison that you can put in as far as CPM. What, what'll be interesting is that, you know, if, if uh, Tom John, the, the auto dealer wants to pay a guy $10,000 or something like that, there may be opportunities where there's not as many comparisons that you can put. And uh, I mean, I've, whenever you have any kind of set of rules, you're immediately going to have people that, start to try to work the process of skirting around them. Uh, this is just going to be a fantastic game of cat and mouse, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it's implemented. But you're right. You can't just say, um, you know, Corey Jones, star running back, is uh, is sponsored by, you know, W.H. Thompson III and, <laughs> and Associates, and we're paying him $420,000 for reviewing our books. Well, so I'm trying to figure out, like, what is the medium that is is like the most wide open because we have a general idea of you know what what a sponsored tweet goes for or what a uh, you know what an Instagram post goes for. I mean the the rates are like you you can look up what Kim Kardashian charges for for a sponsored Instagram post, right? Like those are pretty public and and it, it's uh, like the the curve is is not is not perfectly linear, right? It, it, it's it's kind of exponential. So most of these kids are not going to qualify to make very much based on on how many you know, how many followers they have. They're they're, they're excuse me. They're they're partnering you know with the company so they can get all all the data on this and and try to make it a little bit cleaner for the kids. But also like let's be real here. Also so they can track what's going on. Like there there's sort of a, a you know, double edged sword to this uh, with, with with their marketing company they're, they're they're partnering with. You know if like if, if the if Dale Earnhardt Chevrolet wants to to sponsor a, a kid for a TV ad, I don't think they're allowed to pay him like a way above market rate for the TV ad. But I, I mean, may, maybe there maybe there's some kind of way. I'm just using them in theory, obviously. Uh, but yeah, like that's. I think there's some controls on this. Maybe the way, yeah, I I, I think there are some little more controls on this uh, than we realize right now, and I, I definitely think in the future there will be even more. And yet the schools don't want to be out there looking like they're trying to cap the compensation because they really don't want to get looped into this idea that they are, you know, controlling the earnings of their non-employees. 
It's basically the same idea as they eventually dropped the transfer restrictions because it's bad PR and because you don't want to put non-competes on non-employees if you're trying to make an argument that the people that you pseudo-employ are not actually employees, right? It uh, <clears throat> certainly weakens your argument. Yeah, uh, it does. So this will just be a fascinating process, kind of in a, in a brave new world here. It's going to be wildly interesting to see how it rolls out. Uh, but we will circle back to our original thoughts. I believe both of us share that uh, well done Florida State. They certainly put their, you know, their first foot uh, forward was a was a good showing and have done a good job, you know, carving out a, a little bit of space for themselves and uh, only excited to see what's, uh, you know, what's soon to follow up. All right. Uh, let me see. A couple more pictures released from the football only facility, really pretty much in line with what we told you guys a, a podcast or two ago that we dropped on the Instagram page. and. Uh, they're going to have a football-only weight room in there. It's not a ton of bells and whistles, but it, it's something that is a reasonable facility. They can get done. It's a building all their own. You know, they're going to have some coaches' offices in there as well. And uh, I, anything really new to add that you picked up? No, not really. I mean, to be honest with you, it's a nice thing. It's not a Taj Mahal. It's all the things that we said. Uh, it's, uh, you know, at this point, this is kind of one of the subject matters where Florida State's just trying not to have a, you know, not try not to just have a, a large deficit when it comes to what else is out there in the arms race. Um, that just be interesting at this point. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, more fascinated to see what the timeline of uh, construction is when you can really, uh, get an idea as to when this will be available for kids and, uh, excited to see what the final product looks like. All right. Uh, so a little recruiting talk here, maybe. Yeah, always. Cool. So, Obviously, been on the road quite a bit, but I've also been, been talking to coaches in you know, Florida State and at other programs. Um, I, I think FSU is is really kind of making some waves in recruiting, man. Um, and I, I had this talk with you literally while I was sitting uh, on the sideline watching 40 times at, at, at the UC camp. And I this kind of came about from talking to another recruiting guy with, with another company. And he said, you know, he was talking about um, basically that some schools are going to be really limited on scholarships this year. Right. And like there was one ACC school that told, that told my friend, he said, look, we're only going to take 15 kids this year. And we expect about seven of those kids to be transfers because we don't want to have just this huge glut of freshmen on the roster. Cause we technically have about 50 freshmen right now with the, uh, with, 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 with the COVID, you know, bonus year rule, the, the super senior rule where everybody didn't lose a year of eligibility last year. And it got me to thinking, man, right? So Florida State sits in the top 10 right now. I know I've been kind of out there on a limb saying, I think if, if they do go six and six or better in the regular season, they could actually get a top 10 class, which is, you know, would be the first time anybody in the early signing period era is able to secure that top 10 class without getting to seven regular season wins. But I, I'm going to double down on that because I, I think there are going to be a lot of schools out there that are going to take a class of, you know, 15, 16, 17 high schoolers, you know, just because they don't have the space or because they want to take a lot of transfers. And the, the Knowles may have really timed this up right as, as a year in which they have more spots to give. And I, I'll give you an analogy here. I, I know a couple, a couple people listen to the show are actually in this master's, uh, master's auction we do. So we did, we did an auction for, for the master's. We do one for all the majors. And, you know, you have to basically, we, we, we count your seven best scores for the golf tournament. Sometimes I go, you know, pretty heavy on on the studs, and and the last time, I just hung back. And it's a, it's an auction of five guys. You can draft as many players as you want, as long as you draft a minimum of seven, obviously. Ingram, I ended up with twenty seven guys, 
right? I was getting Webb Simpson for like three bucks and, and uh, you know, Justin Rose for three and just a bunch of guys really, really cheap because everybody else kind of ran out of money. And as I was sitting there on the field talking to you, I was like, man, that could be the Knowles this year. They like if they want to take, you know, 23, 20, 20, you know, 24, 25 guys. Hell, maybe you take 21, 22 high schoolers and just a couple transfers. That, that's going to give them an excellent shot to land a top 10 class because they're simply going to have more spots to give to high schoolers than a lot of other schools are going to have. Yeah. If you look at a, a Venn diagram of playing time and scholarships to offer, that that middle circle, Florida State's got one of the largest ones there. I mean, they, they've got a, an awful lot of sell. Uh, they've got room that, that many others uh, may not have, uh, particularly as we get a better feel uh, for some of the scholarship situations around the conference and nationally. You know, Florida State's in a really good place, has the early commitments that we've talked about, has a decent amount of momentum. It'll be fascinating. They've got a they've got a very legitimate shot to, you know, sign a class that finishes somewhere between six and ten, in my opinion. I, I agree. They just they I think they do have to get to you know to to six wins. Um I, I, I still have a hard time seeing them pull off like a top ten class if they go five and seven. Cause then I worry about, about you losing some momentum. But uh, ultimately I I think they're in a pretty good spot, man. Oh, uh, I also speaking of good spot. I I think they're in a good spot with Earl Little. I I spoke with a source who who, who says, you know, hey, I know FSU's not mentioned a ton with him, but uh, you know, we we really think we're we're in the middle of this thing. He he likes Coach Norvell. He loves Coach Norvell's you know kind of the work approach, and and Coach Norvell loves guys obviously who want to put in the work. He's all he's all about that, and that's you know kind of what you hear from these coaches in the building every day, you know, the, the work, the work, the work. And uh, that that's, if you guys don't know, uh, Earl Little Jr. is at American Heritage. He's a corner. I think we discussed him on the last show, a, a fringe top 100 prospect in the country. Also happens to be teammates with uh, Marvin Jones Jr. So not, not, a, not, not a bad thing there uh, at all. So just a little note I wanted to drop here on the pod. Uh, we have some, uh, we have some new commits and decommits to discuss. And I, I, did get a chance to chat with some folks about these guys. Uh, you want to go decommits or, or or commits first? Yeah, let's get the uh, let's get the decommits out of the way, and then we can circle back to a little bit more of the positive conversation. So you lose the um, let's see. We had talked about it. I don't know that it was official, but we had said it was coming, uh, and, and we had said it was coming based off crystal balls. I'm not trying to make us sound like we're clairvoyant per se, but Quincy McAdoo, the wide receiver out of Arkansas. Uh, that decommitment becomes official shortly after our last pod. And then a more recent decommitment is the running back, uh, Cedric Baxter. Okay. Uh, so McAdoo, you know, your receiver at Arkansas, basically, I don't think that they believed he was going to stay committed the whole time. A lot of pressure to, to stay home, go to Arkansas. He's a prospect they did like. He never really got down and visited post-commitment. And uh, even though this is not a great year in the state of Florida, I'm not saying that that McAdoo is not is not a loss because I, I mean, ultimately they liked him enough to take him early from out of state, so they clearly liked. Him. I'm not going to backtrack on that. I, they they think he's a good player, but it doesn't help them to have another receiver spot in their class occupied by somebody who they don't believe is going to going to sign with them. In fact, it probably hurts their recruiting because it looks like they're they're already full or you know somewhat full at the position because they also have Devon Mortimer uh, already committed, who I, I did get to see over the weekend, and he's. He's crazy fast. I mean, he's not huge, but he's, and he's not like a violent runner. You know, he just, all of a sudden, he's like just wide, wide open. He's, he's really, really fast. And so that, I think he fills that need for them of a guy 
you know, who can play in the slot when, when they want to go with a smaller slot and uh, also be a, a really nice end around guy, probably with, with that kind of speed. So yeah, the McAdoo decommits and, uh, and that's, I don't say it's a positive as far as the talent you lost, but it's, it's also practically you do need to, like you need the spot if you don't think the kid's going to sign with you. Um, the other decommitment is a player who I know they're going to continue to recruit because they like a lot. Cedric Baxter, the 2023 athlete out of you know my hometown here in Orlando and uh, well, not hometown, but where I live now. And uh, basically he is a guy who just maintained even while he was committed that his recruitment was 100% open and he would tweet about it regularly. And he just wants to take his visits. And, and this, in my opinion, is just a case of a kid and just committing too early, right? Like he wants to go through the process. FSU is absolutely still going to recruit him. I don't think he's a, a running back. Ultimately, I think he's probably more of a linebacker, but he's a really good football player. You know, plays both ways in high school, very aggressive, likes to play the game of football and just wants to go through the process of recruiting. So FSU will continue to go, go through that process, you know, with them. And, and he definitely remains a target for them. Moving the conversation towards, uh, the newly committed Brian Courtney, uh, let's say, what jumbo athlete out of Virginia? I think uh, they're going to start him at tight end. From what I was yeah, told, I, th- I think the the desire is to have him ultimately turn into a tight end. You know, not that I necessarily need to give you guys like <laughs> recruiting endorsements. Uh, Bud may be a, a better individual to do that. Not maybe is, uh, but uh, man, I, I would I would be pretty excited about this. This is a, a kid that is whose profile is only going to continue to grow, in my opinion. It's a kid that if Florida State is going to be able to get to commit and hold that commitment, I think you need to be pretty aggressive with him now rather than six weeks or so when more and other large programs get involved. Uh, his testing numbers are off the chart. Had somebody tell me that that's maybe the best 40 time they have uh, in, you know, that they've seen this year out of a kid that large. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to like about this. Uh, a little bit raw, plays against decent competition, not great competition, uh, but you know, label myself as as one that's pretty excited about this addition if they can hold on to him. Yeah, what, what that that thing you texted me about, about about that forty time being like the fastest forty that anybody you know has run in the country this year over two hundred ten pounds. I mean, like a that might be a little bit inflated the what four five six I guess at two hundred twenty three pounds, but b even if it's a little bit inflated. I mean that that your guy said it was by far the fastest is is pretty interesting. When I talked to Florida State, they basically told me, "Look, this is if this kid is as good as his testing numbers, this is not a player that we are going to be able to get to commit to us if we wait." Right? We are going like we're we're taking a shot here that these numbers are real because we think it's backed up on film. Obviously, we wanted to come camp. But if he turns out to be as good as these testing numbers, and he's a quarterback in high school, so he really hasn't you know, played much tight end. But if he's good, 6'3", 223 pounds, as these testing numbers, which is a spark score of, of 100 plus, guess what? That's a kid that you know Ohio State or Penn State rolls in on since he's from Virginia. And we're going to have to fight and claw just to keep him and play the, hey, we were on you first card. You know, we, we, we were the first major school to, to, you know, to show you love and, and, and to give you a committable offer. If he gets down there to camp and he, he's not as athletic as these testing numbers, you know, then, 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 then you readjust. But they do need to really improve the athleticism in that tight end room. I mean, you have two guys in, in you know, Wyatt and, uh, and Preston Daniel who are basically walk-ons. I mean, like they're, they're walk-on quality players. They're, they're not 
they're not helping your, your, your team from an actual play standpoint, you know, leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But like not actual making plays. Cam McDonald is fine. You know, he's not like a surefire NFL guy or anything. And, uh, the kid he got from Colca County is, is not, uh, I don't, I don't hear a lot of like, Hey, he's going to be in our plans long-term as far as playing time from them. So they're taking a calculated shot here with Brian Courtney. I don't think that they're really in that great a position with other tight ends in this cycle, right? Jaleel Skinner. I mean, I know they still like Jaleel Skinner. I'm not sure that Jaleel Skinner likes them as much as, as, as they like him. He's the, he's the tight end from South Carolina, but that that's the way it was presented to me, right? We, we think this kid's athleticism that he tested with is backed up by the film. And if we get down here at camp, then like, look, we got a head start on all the other schools because we got him committed. It seems like it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not going to tell you that this kid's like a surefire four-star kid because I haven't seen him in person and who knows if these testing numbers are inflated. Yeah, true. Uh, I would say that in my opinion, the to use what it, what's it called, the grapefruit principle or whatever, the, the juice is worth the squeeze here. I mean, I, I think what you with the potential end product here uh, more than justifies getting in, getting in a place where this kid feels comfortable enough to commit into you. And uh, if you think he's that type of athlete, ultimately, that some of the other, you know, those type of schools that get involved, uh, then, yeah, you're going to need a commitment in April. You're going to need to be able to sell him that you were in on him before anybody else. And you did a little bit of free scouting you and everybody else realized what they had. We believe in you. We ultimately want to develop you. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting recruitment. You know, look, there's a, a segment of the fan base that just loves to troll and, you know, oh, look at this. And we got another kid that nobody else wants. And, you know, if that's your your want, then, um, you know, you do you. Uh, but there's a legitimate section of the fan base that sees another kid committed that doesn't have tons of offers or stars next to his name or anything else. My only message on this one would be give it time. This is a there's a, a whole lot of upside here. Uh, got a got a decent amount of potential and offer sheet ain't going to stay that way for very long, in my opinion. I would agree. In fact, he uh, he picked up Virginia pretty soon after the the in-state school. And I, I would also point out that you know if Virginia is a state that had played more high school football in the fall as opposed to waiting to spring in some parts, um, there's a pretty good chance he's offer his offer list is already a lot bigger. You know, like that they're they're looking at 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 some tape, which you know part of it's like sophomore tape. Oh, the other kid they they just got got to commit Randy Pittman. Um, so I I asked around about Randy Pittman, and here's what I was told verbatim. Bud, I don't know if he's a four-star kid because he's kind of short. We don't care. We think he's going to be a really good college football player. Has a has a pretty impressive basketball background. I mean, that has to give you a little more uh, confidence that you're getting a, a fairly dynamic athlete, hopefully a dynamic athlete that isn't, you know, six foot and a half, six foot one kid that continues to grow. But uh Nice to have a little bit of presence over there in the western part of the panhandle that is, uh, you know, frequently all but a, an Alabama funnel for elite prospects. Uh, not necessarily saying that uh, that Pittman is such, but uh, nice athlete. I think you can work with him here over time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, certainly the, the basketball background gives me a confidence that you're getting, you know, maybe a little bit more explosive athlete than you would otherwise. He also is a really, really good high school football player. Like, I don't know if Randy Pittman's an NFL guy, right? I mean, I haven't seen him in person in quite a while. So maybe he's grown too. I, I don't know. I don't think he's gone to any, any like testing event that I've seen recently. But it is hard for me. Like, like he is a, a 
two-time 1,000-yard tight end at the high school level, which is not that normal. They hand this guy off, the, like they hand this guy the ball in the backfield. They run him on end rounds, et cetera. I, he is pretty damn athletic. The body control is real nice. The only real question here is, is the length, right? But if you use him as sort of an off-ball tight end, you're still recruiting Dominic Robinson's son. Remember Dominic Robinson, the guy that made the catch from, from Ricks before Ricks was well, The fourth and 14. Oh, I, I most certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. So his son is a stud tight end recruit out, out in the desert. Um, I don't have it in front of me. See, Arizona or Nevada uh, out there, and they're very much in on him, and, and, uh, and he likes the Knowles as well. So they want to take two in next year's class. Robinson's son profiles more as like the inline tight end, you know, the guy who can you know, more do it all. Pittman is more, I think, of your H-back type, and they, they really want to improve the athleticism in that tight end room as I said, because they don't feel like they have any athleticism in there right now uh, with, well, Jackson West, but you know, obviously he's, he's a kid who's just going to be getting on campus. So that, that's kind of where they're at. Also last note here, I'm going to be uh, dropping this article today on 247sports.com. So it'll be out by the time you hear this show. Uh, I spoke with Cormani McLean, who is the number one cornerback in the country, I believe, right? For, uh, for 2023. He is teammates with Sam McCall. Uh, and though Sam McCall said he is, you know, he wants to, to take visits and make sure he made the right choice, et cetera, with, uh, with his commitment to the Knowles, uh, Corwin McLean told me that, uh, that McCall is constantly in his ear about committing to the Knowles. Uh, and I, I asked him, I said, you know, Blake Alderman from the, the Florida 24 7 site was, was, uh, was standing there with me. We were talking, talking to uh, McLean and, it's so, okay. Like, what what coaches uh, you know stand out to you early on, or do you have a good relationship with? And he's like, "Oh, Coach Mike Norvell." And he you know went on to explain you know why. You can read that in the article. I said, you know, so what other coaches stand out? And anybody's like, "No, just Coach Norvell." So that's kind of a, a big deal to be to be you know have that level of interest from from that type of player early on. No, it's super early. Read into that what you will, but I think if you're the Knowles, you'd rather be in that spot than not in that spot. Certainly. Coach Mike Norvell and assistant coach Travis Hunter. Those are the two that really stick out in my mind. Yeah, McCall did tell me that uh, uh, Travis Hunter played a large role in, in his uh, his commitment. Because I asked him, I was like, hey, man, when I talked to you in, in late January, you didn't even mention, you didn't mention Florida State at all. What happened? And, and then somebody else was interviewing too, and they said like, hey, like, yeah, how big was Travis Hunter? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. When Travis got on me, it you know, kind of made me uh, interested. So. When we said Travis Hunter should be listed as the lead recruiter for uh, for Sam McCall, I'm, I'm going to double down on that. Travis Hunter, by the way, went over to GAC this weekend on the the Greater Atlanta Christian School on the seven on seven tournament uh, scene and did nothing but uh, dominate and further uh, you know enhance his uh, rather large reputation right now. So uh, just don't get injured. I love seeing all these videos. Travis Hunter jumping around, landing, uh, jumping all over people. I just uh, you've done your work. <laughs> You know who else did that, man? Derwin. Derwin just would, would would pick up on a random seven on seven team and just go go play. He just yep. loved to play. Yeah, I think he was with uh, and compete. I think he was with Cam Newton's setup uh, over the past weekend. Doesn't really matter. Just uh, you know, no injuries and uh, continued dominant performance and good on Travis Hunter. I'm I'm looking at our our, uh, our timing here on this episode and it's just been jam packed. So a couple housekeeping notes. Number one. Big thanks to Shannon and Chad at the legendary team, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. I know you sent out a couple more shirts 
over the weekend as we've passed 150 loans and refis through the legendary program. Nolcast Loan Program is awesome. They're 844 FSU loan. It's great rates, it's customer service, knowledge of the industry, and experience. 844 FSU loan. Noel supporting Knowles. Give them a shout. Also, we're probably going to have to do another show this week because we have a ton of questions to get to, and we still have more stuff on, on the show rundown before we even get to the questions. So I'm, I'm going to let you kind of lead us into the next part here that I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about as well. Yeah, so we'll do, we'll do this briefly. Uh, this is a just a quick talk about the European Super League that has sprouted. and, and This is soccer, right? This is soccer-based conversation, obviously with a college football type of perspective here. I'm not just going to carve out eight minutes where I talk about soccer and, uh, you know. Because <laughs> I'm actually on the show today. Let, let Bud join in with uh, randomly spouted in Leo Messi, Christian Ronaldo every once in a while. <laughs> so uh, if you're not otherwise familiar, 12 of the largest teams in European soccer have basically broken off, created a substitute product for the Champions League. The Champions League is a exceptionally lucrative, um, you know, consortment of the better teams in European football. You qualify if you're in a larger league. You may qualify for finishing top four. If you're in a smaller, um, say, if you're in Scotland, you qualify if you win the league, uh, etc. So, um, long story short, I don't know that there's a ton of parallels here, but I would say, and I don't know that I've seen too many people put it like this, but in my opinion, a lot of this has come up from uh, this Champions League TV money. It was al- it almost poison-pilled itself. It got so big, but that these larger teams, even some of the larger brands in the world, you're not a, a massive soccer fan by any, fan, uh, by any means, but you're certainly familiar with Manchester United. I mean, that, that's one of the five biggest clubs in the world, and Manchester United is you know, got so many official partnerships and, you know, trust me, they've, they've leveraged the brand and monetized as much as possible. My point is, is that years that Manchester United had the Champions League money, first years where they weren't getting it, created a challenge, even for some of these largest and, and richest clubs in the world. So basically, they've created a situation to where they will always have this money. They know they're going to get this money and can kind of budget accordingly. So, you know, I'm not going to list all the schools because uh, it becomes a silly contest as to, hey, you left somebody out. Uh, if you're a Florida or Miami fan, know that I didn't have you in my hypothetical uh, situation. But if if college football were, were to do something like this, it would be if, you know, Bama, LSU, Texas, fill in the rest of the names, Florida State created a, a 16-team playoff and, and basically guaranteed themselves 12 of the 16 spots. Um, I don't know that you're going to see something like this. It's a different setup. Uh, the schools certainly receive some money, uh, but it's more kind of directly going to the conference. So you, what, I, what I would be interested to see is if this money starts to get so large from the playoff appearance and if the, the playoffs expand, it's only going to be a great thing temporarily. And, uh, and then it's going to be a situation where a lot of powerful interests, whether they be schools, conferences, et cetera, uh, start to try to protect themselves and, and safeguard themselves so that they don't only have access to the money, but they know that they're going to get it. So th- this is really sort of a, a more eat what you kill situation, right? To, to borrow a, a, a trial lawyer's term, you know, that then college football is like there, a lot of their money is tied to actually make Like if you make it, you get, you get a, you get a huge rainfall or windfall, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's even even for some of these larger clubs, it's not a guaranteed thing. I mean, you know, finishing top four in the Premier League is quite a challenge. Uh, Juventus is one of the 
larger brands in college football and one of the bigger clubs in Italy, I don't know that they would necessarily qualify for Champions League this year uh, based off the traditional structure. And they've got a team full of, you know, starters on some of the largest national teams in the world and Cristiano Ronaldo and other people. So it's, it is a, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's certainly a merit based uh, type of situation. And yeah, you're getting some of these large blue bloods basically trying to create a situation to where it doesn't necessarily have to be. There's a pretty good argument that life insurance is not a good investment. And yet I got some life insurance because my wife wanted me to, and people do trade upside for certainty every day. But it seems like in, in this situation, they may not be sacrificing you know, that much upside if all these top teams are going to leave. I, what, what do you think this would look like in college football? Uh, I, I mean, I would think it would be something like if uh, some of those teams that I've mentioned created this type of situation. And then the curious spot is, is that these teams are still trying to play in their own domestic league. So it would, it would be like if Florida State, LSU, Texas, whatever, did this and then also said, well, I want to play in the ACC. Um, it just may not be that my play in the ACC is determinative as to whether or not I'm actually going to make the playoff. I think it's actually going to be a horrible thing for some of these teams that are in the Super League, but aren't necessarily going to be a dominant force in the league. So say a club like Arsenal, and I'm not going to get into the details of football. Don't worry, guys. Uh, but say, say it is an Arsenal. Say they get in. That Arsenal's probably never going to win that league, but they are going to be guaranteed to get the money for that league. So they don't really necessarily even have the incentive to pay for a world-class roster. You could extrapolate that too. So, uh, you know, it may just be a, a place where they have guaranteed themselves a presence, guaranteed themselves a paycheck, and don't even necessarily have the, um, you know, motivation tied to try to perform at the highest level either. So, um, I, you know, it's going to be a, an interesting thing to see how it plays out. I think it may be a, a big giant poison pill myself, um, but it would be interesting to see uh, how that translates to college football. And in my opinion, you'd probably have more of the conferences play the roles that some of the larger clubs are in Europe, which you could make an argument is already happening to an extent. Do, do you think this is just a leverage play like, like, or do you think they're really going to do this, do this? It has been used as a leverage play for 30 years. And it, that was the assumption is that it, what it was. It, it looks like they're pretty serious about doing this. And that, that for whatever reason, maybe they think this is their window of time to, to try to enact this Super League that has kind of long been, you know, kicked about in the equation. So uh, let me ask you this, and I'm going to analogize this to college football as well. What is the, what is the result they were looking to extract, you know, from the, the Champions League or from whomever in Europe that they did not get that forced them to do this? And what would you say is, is the comparison for what the big teams in college football might look to extract in exchange for not doing this? Um, what they were wanting is more basically guaranteed seats in the group stage. So I, I won't get into the details, but some, some teams, depending on the leagues, you have to do more qualification. It starts earlier. But if you're in the group stage, um, setting, you're getting 15.2 million pounds, or at least you were as recently as, as last year. That's significant. Each win is worth 2.7 million pounds. So uh, this money starts to get pretty important pretty quickly, uh, even, even for, um, you know, like I said, even for really large teams. So what college football equivalency would be that the SEC wants a guaranteed spot in the playoff. You know, that's what I'm, that's where this would start to turn. Maybe even a, 
a, a guaranteed spot in the playoff. And then, and this is actually something that the Champions League uh, was was doing to try to appease some of these larger uh, teams and a, a newly uh, announced enactment that they were actually going to give some of these group stage uh, spots based off what was called a historical coefficient, which as you can imagine, is going to be heavily slanted towards larger teams. So you could say, well, Florida State went four and seven this year, but they have a historical coefficient. <laughs> You'd have to stretch the coefficient window pretty large to get Florida State in it after the past three or four years. But you could say, well, they have a historical coefficient of X, Y, Z. And it's our opinion uh, that the ACC should have Clemson and Florida State as two of the eight teams that get access to the nice. eight-team playoffs. That's that's pretty nice. Okay. Well, I mean, this is definitely something to monitor. I I know Andy Staples put out something that was uh, that did not have FSU in it, but I think he he did it because he, he wanted to draw more more regional interest from the Midwest and the West, and they already had you know Florida uh, in there, which you know obviously hashtag bias. Man calls one real well, all of a sudden wants to leave us out of the out of the big dance. Uh, felt felt pretty used uh, to be honest. With I you. was surprised at how many questions we got about this. By the way, like that was. That was pretty wild. And immediate, immediately. I mean, that that's what I was, I was a uh, thank you, I guess, that you guys see this as a sometimes apex of, <laughs> or a, a cross section of, of college football and, and European soccer. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's certainly something that's in the broader conversation and, uh, you know, we'll continue to look at it and see what the ultimate fallout is and, and whether or not there's kind of real extrapolations for college football. So uh, next thing we want to move to, don't want to spend a ton of time on this at all. Just want to acknowledge, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it on social media. Kenny Shaw uh, did a camp uh, over the weekend. Great. I mean, Kenny Shaw is one of my favorite players that we've, we've had in the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, best of luck to that guy as he continues his career in Canada. But just great to see the turnout uh, from so many Florida State players. And, you know, the 2013 team obviously is one of the better teams to ever play college football, but it's uh it's a great reminder to see even eight years, how close a lot of those guys are, how supportive of they are of each other. Uh, James Wilder Jr., Nick O'Leary, Timmy Jernigan, uh, my old, another favorite of, uh, of Big Pad Chad, Telvin, Benjamin, Jameis, uh, just great names. Great to see that those guys have the bond that they do and continue to support each other. Not, not something we're going to spend five minutes breaking down or anything else. Just something I wanted to note on the show before we get into listener questions. That was cool. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I, I like seeing the pictures from that. All right, you want to go uh, this first question here? Yeah, so we'll jump into our listener questions. This is uh, a question actually from uh, <laughs> from our friend Christian Stafford. Christian is the uh, the young man that bumped into uh, Matt Thompson at the spring game, and uh, you know, Madso is is fantastic for so many different reasons. But uh, you know, like we said, they are nothing but an enhancer of the Florida State athletic experience, and that's true whether you're a you know, 15 year old or, or, a, you know, a 39 year old looking to get a, you know, looking to watch a basketball game or, or get a Sunday brunch after a game or anything else. Great people, township, Madso, uh, two of the best options you could ever have in Tallahassee right there in the shadow of Dope Campbell Stadium. And then they uh, also have a lot of other exciting projects that we look forward to talking to you guys about. But to the listener question from Christian, Christian writes, I think with likelihood of AJ Duffy going to Arizona State, we should go all in for MJ Morris. Kid has a really nice deep ball and great presence, knows how to evaluate and read a defense and appears that he can really move. In my opinion, Arkansas seems to be the biggest threat right now. So, uh, Christian, appreciate your question. And uh, Matt, thanks for forwarding that on to us. Yeah, but I'll, I'll certainly let you give the the longer, broader um, 
answer here. Morris is an intriguing prospect here at a Metro Atlanta, Pace Academy, etc. Um, ultimately, all everybody in the recruiting world is judged on potential, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm not really going to vary too far from that, but Morris's rating is particularly judged on potential, in my opinion. There's a lot of work to be done there. Pace is a very, relatively speaking, a small private school here. doesn't necessarily play against the greatest competition. I'm not knocking Morris. I think he would be a nice add. And if you could add uh, a two quarterback class of, uh, of him and, and Nico, that would be a very solid class. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work to be done at the same time there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sold on Morris yet. You know, obviously, I, re- I respect Christian, and, and I think it's awesome that we have younger listeners here. Um, and very much thanks to Matt Swift for forwarding the question on. But I, I, uh, I'm higher on A.J. Duffy uh, than I was a couple weeks ago. I, like, I thought he was, you know, he was good at the Orlando Elite 11 camp, but he, he didn't blow me away. I know he, I think he had some jet lag issues there because he'd been traveling a whole lot. Uh, I, I saw him yesterday at IMG and I, I thought he was very nice. Like he, he he threw the ball really well, came out on time, you know, seemed to be able to read the defense. I, you know, I, I, uh, I wasn't at the, uh, the camp that MJ Morris was at, but I, I do know some people who were and they, they weren't really blown away. It's a single camp setting. So I'm not going to base my entire evaluation of the prospect on, on one camp. Uh, but I, I think there's a reason that FSU is is playing the game with Duffy, right? Who continues to kind of bump back his commitment and wants to take his visits first. And I don't say that in like a, a negative way. Like there's nothing wrong with wanting to take your visits and, and, and take your officials and, and go through the process. I'm telling you, I think that my my thoughts on this of you're not going to take Duffy while Morris is, or you're not going to take Morris while Duffy's still on the board. I think that's for a reason. I think that they see it, Duffy as as a you know, a, a defined level above Morris. If they have to end up going with Morris because Duffy does go to Arizona State, which is possible, then I think they would they would probably do that unless they just want to wait to see who else emerges. But I, I could pretty much guarantee you they're more sold on Duffy than they are Morris. If they liked Morris better than Duffy, they would just take Morris now, and they're not doing that. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm not seeing it. I agree with you. Morris is very much about potential. Duffy is, is somebody who I, I think probably is going to play earlier in his career, which they might need. Next question comes from a uh, Patreon supporter of ours. Uh, had a lot of great questions. Also had a lot of people that just wrote in like, hey, appreciate what you guys are doing. Don't necessarily have a question. To those of you who did that, uh, noticed, appreciated, and, uh, and, and thank you guys. Uh, next question reads, could you please address to Maury Tate, his progress or perhaps lack thereof? Doesn't seem like we've heard anything about him during the spring and he missed the season due to academic issues. Has anything changed? Should we expect him on the team in 21? Uh, keep up the good work. So, You didn't hear much about him playing in the spring because he suffered a leg injury very early in the spring. Uh, so he was in, in a boot out there, you know, still still around the team. Um you know, they're going through their exit interviews right now, and I don't believe that I, I haven't heard any kind of transfer rumors a, a, about him. So I, I do think they expect him on the team still. Uh, and he's just clearly like his development is going to be slow at this point because he hasn't been able to be healthy. And last year he was an academic redshirt. So I think long term, they still like him a lot. Uh, you know, short term, obviously, he's not been able to be on the field and, and for various reasons. And it's just not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. But yeah, he, he got hurt and missed the whole spring. 
Uh, next question comes from Dan. Dan asks us, how does our defense, as currently constructed, uh, that McKenzie Milton has been practicing against, playing against in the spring game, compared to the defenses that Milton faced in the AAC? Uh, I would say that FSU's defense is, let me see, the defenses that he played against in the AAC. Well, let's go to the Wayback Machine. What what two years was Milton killing it at, uh, at UCF? 17 and 18? Yeah. He played some some decent defenses in the AAC, but generally the talent in the AAC defensively is is not that great. You would think he played a good Cincinnati defense at UCF, but the 2017 Cincinnati defense actually was uh, was was not that great. Um, interestingly, they that was sort of when they were um, you know when, when they were kind of going through it towards the end of Tuberville there and uh, before Fickle really had that thing rolling. You know, the Houston defense that, that he played was okay, but not amazing. You know, the Memphis defense that he played obviously was was not that good. The defensive talent in the AAC is just not what it is in the ACC, and even not what it is for the most part at, at Florida State. Like, if you look at, at the all-AAC first-team defense, a lot of those guys are going undrafted. If you look at the all-ACC first-team defense, some of those guys will go undrafted, but not not most, right? Like like not half usually. I mean, there, there's a pretty good number who are going to go drafted off that. So it is definitely a step up in terms of athleticism, length, speed, physicality in the ACC. There's there's really no doubt. I think if you talk to these guys on this staff who coached at Memphis, they would tell you the same thing. Yeah, this is a lot different as far as the, the quality of of defense you face, and especially the quality of the defensive line uh, that you face. At UCF, they had a talent advantage over basically every team they faced in the conference, especially in, in that, you know, that undefeated year. Or, well, most of the teams, I guess. At Florida State, you should have that, but you don't right now. Long term, that, that's what they're trying to build back up to. So it's definitely more challenging. Let's see. Next question comes from Chuck. Chuck asks, I haven't heard much about special teams heading into next season. It would be really nice to seal some points in field position next year in the return game. What are our prospects? Also, do we have a kicker? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and throw the general qualifier that if there's there's any feel for trying to get for what you actually have on special teams or what you have in spring, I would say special teams is far and away the hardest uh, to really get that, you just can't create some of those types of situations. I mean, you can have a kid line up from the 44 and tell them that, hey, if you make this kick, then, you know, we all go into locker room. If you don't, we run. Well, yeah, that's nice, but that doesn't recreate the pressure that's felt to try to, you know, kick a, a make a kick that either ties or wins a game or whatever else. Uh, just the type of situations mentally aren't really something that can be replicated. So, I don't know that we're really going to get a feel for that. I'm not sure that we have a kicker uh, feel maybe slightly better about punter, but uh, some pretty decent question marks when it comes to this aspect of the team. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. Kicker, I, I don't think they're in a good spot. Um, punter, I, I think they're, they're mostly fine, to be honest. But I, I, Mike Norvell, you know, he came in talking about how special teams were so emphasized and, and they're really important. And, you know, help if you think back to, uh, to FSU's, you know, big win last year, they had some big special teams plays against North Carolina. So I do think it's emphasized, but I, I don't think they have a kicker uh, who they can count on 
So that's, and ultimately, look, sometimes, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes that's not a bad thing if it forces the coach to make the optimal decision as far as going forward as opposed to punting or kicking, right? Like sometimes having a bad kicker can actually produce a good result if you make the statistically correct decision of actually going for it and, and trying to advance the ball as opposed to settling for a kicker punt. So it's almost like having a guy in baseball. It's like, oh man, I'd like to bunt here as the manager when we know that's the wrong call, but this guy up to the plate, he sucks at bunting. So I'm going to have him hit, which is the right call, you know, despite the old school manager wanting to bunt. Norvell has been really good at that, by the way, as far as like he, he, he maximizes his teams better than a lot of coaches because he doesn't settle for kicks and punts. And he understands that not making it on fourth down is not that big of a deal. Good perspective there. Uh, Bobby has our next question. Bobby, a little bit more of a statement here, but uh, with depth being our biggest issue at multiple positions, does this team only get worse as the season goes on? Our hardest part of our schedule is undoubtedly the back six. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a legitimate concern, Bobby. I think that's, a you know, to an extent, something that a, applies for for everybody as far as the idea that your depth kind of wanes over the season as you pick up injuries and everything else but you're absolutely right you know the we talked when we saw the record that there's a, a decent chance that you open the season what, four and one or something like that and, and really have to try to maintain that back half of the schedule um you know florida state is a, is still at least a recruiting class away if not two from really having concentrated depth of, of guys that this coaching staff feels comfortable, uh, you know, kind of going to battle with, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a problem. And, and obviously from, from day one, we've said, if you have any kind of injury, uh, certainly concentrated injuries at, at the offensive line or really either line of scrimmage, you could be in pretty bad shape, but, um, you know, that's, that's going to have to be something that's in the back of everybody's mind this year, I guess. You need to get to at least three wins before the bye week. Just to remind people the games you have before the bye week. Notre Dame, Jacksonville State, at Wake, Louisville, Syracuse, at North Carolina, bye week. I think you need to be at least three and three if you want to have a prayer of getting to a bowl game, right? I mean, I, I think your, your chance of winning at Clemson, at Florida, are basically zero. Uh, and your chance of beating Miami, I would say, is low. Not impossible, but, but you know, lower. You have NC State at home as well in the back half, and then you go to Boston College, and you get UMass. So UMass is going to be a win. But before the bye week, you absolutely have to get the three wins, which means you need, you're going to beat Syracuse, you're going to beat Jacksonville State. You need at least one more. Yeah, I I would say, uh, I think you need four out of that, to be honest with you. I mean, I I realize that's a a, a little bit of an ask, but Jack State, Syracuse, you travel to Wake, which will be one of the more pivotal You'll probably be an underdog against Wake. Yeah, and then, and then you host Louisville. So. People don't realize that yet, but they're, I think Wake's going to be pretty decent. I'm not trying to make it uh, too easy there, but you know you need to come out of the gate strong, certainly. Uh, and If you get four, I feel really good about your chance of getting two down the stretch. Because then all you need to do is get UMass and one more. Right, I was going to say, and, and one of those is UMass. So Yeah, NC State, Miami, Boston College, can you go one and two in those matchups to get to a bowl game if you already have four wins banked? I think that's possible. I mean, but Bobby's point is exactly right. Yeah, and this is why we've said, got to take another offensive lineman in the portal, right? Can't have games where Jalen Goss or, or, or Chaz Neal are playing. We saw what happens. You just They, they can't play, and then your, your offense is totally shut down immediately. And those guys, I mean, you saw the spring game. If you get some injuries, those guys have to play, and they can't play. Even if it's not a starter, got to take somebody, in my opinion, who, who, who provides you some depth on the offensive line. 
even if he's like an, a below average ACC player, just somebody who, if you go in there, he's not immediately like getting the play blown up every single snap. Before we get to our next question, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity strives to create value for our customers, delivering a truly unique client-centric experience that helps them accomplish their desired goals, inspires performance, engages their employees on a more personal level, and fosters a positive culture. And Congruity and Matt Lewis have been nothing but a great addition for us. Uh, we're ever so fortunate that uh, two of our listeners have chosen uh, to sign up with them and have had nothing but positive feedback so far. As I uh, frequently say, give Matt Lewis 5, 10, 15 minutes of your time. See if it'd be a good fit for you and, and what type of uh, you know, add-ons or benefits they could uh, bring to your business. Reach Matt at 844-247-4100 or via email, Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. You want to take, uh, take Lawson's question and, and get out of here on that one? Yeah, like Bud said at the beginning of the podcast, we have a ton of listener questions and really good ones. So uh, we will save these, bring them back to you and, uh, and you know, are, are not short on content by any stretch of the imagination right now. So Lawson writes uh, and good, good on you, Lawson, make sure this name doesn't not get mentioned in a podcast. Uh, watching Travis Hunter in these seven on seven, absolutely embarrassed kids has me thinking with the addition of a top recruit like Sam McCall and the DB room being a strength on this team, could Travis be better suited at wide receiver rather than DB? He'd probably be the best wide receiver on the team the day he steps on campus. Uh, this podcast is the best Seminole podcast, period. You guys rock. Thanks, Lawson. Uh, yeah. So, Travis Hunter, could he be a wide receiver, bud? Yes. Not only could he be, FSU absolutely plans to use him on both sides of the football. They also would like to do that with Sam McCall, by the way. I think that speaks to the athleticism uh, that they're missing right now at the receiver side and also the knowledge that, that like, look, I, I think Sam McCall is probably a better DB than he is a receiver. I think it's very much up in the air. Like, Travis Hunter, legitimately, you can argue that he's also the best receiver in the country if you wanted to. And, you know, I, he'll be a DB primarily, but it, they're serious about playing him on offense, too. And they've been pitching that. He Would he be the best receiver on the team the day he steps on campus? I feel like this is a trap because somebody's going to clip this. Um, if he focused on DB solely, I think yes. Or excuse me, if he focused on receiver only, I, I think he would be the best, uh, the best receiver on the team the, the moment he steps on campus. Although Destin Hill, I think, is pretty damn good. So it's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I said this a couple months ago. I think it's still the case. And uh, granted, it's been twenty five years as far as a reference. But but what uh, what Jim Donnan did with Champ Bailey, particularly his final year at Georgia, I think. Uh, I think it'll be something like that. I'll have to go back and look at the uh, snaps. I think he took uh, maybe he got something like 61 touches on offense the senior year or something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, Hunter's immediately involved in the offensive plans. Uh, I think you'd see him, you know, in, in theory, if he could reclassify. I'm not saying that that's a rumor or anything else. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. Uh, I think you would see Travis Hunter within the first two offensive season, a series against Notre Dame this year. Oh, he would start on this year's team. Right, well, no, I'm not just like saying he'd up. start. I'm saying like he, if he's playing DB, he'd be implemented in the offense almost immediately. Uh, and that's if, what I mean. Like, like I, I think next year's receivers are going to be better than this year's receivers. Yeah. Like with, with, with Destin and McLean having another year in the system. Like, I think this is probably the low point for receiver un, under Mike Norvell, maybe last year. Yeah. Uh, but, like I think he would start at receiver in 2021 if he could somehow 
get on the team this year, which we're not starting that rumor. I haven't heard a damn thing about him reclassifying, but just as far as talent wise and what you have on the roster, I, I, I do believe that. Let's keep him. <laughs> they, they need him so bad, go, man. Go ahead and get that kid to sign his LOI right now. Put it in a vault and uh, let's, let's get to business. So, uh, yeah, this has been truly enjoyable uh, from my perspective anyways. Hopefully it's a good end product. Uh, thoroughly enjoy this as always. Like we said, we've got a ton of great listener questions uh, that we'll either circle back later this week or have a show out first of next uh, and incorporate those into it. So as always, thank you to our sponsors. Uh, thank you to you, the listener. If you have a chance to give us a review, um, five stars on iTunes or wherever else, that's great. Um, even if it's just liking a treat and retweeting uh, the tweet that we put out when we announce uh, that it's been published, it is a massive help to us and always gratefully appreciated. So uh, from myself, from Bud, uh, this has been the most recent edition of the Nolcast, and we will be back with you in the near future. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Noles.